Well, we know Jesus doesn't make mistakes. And he's given us this beautiful prayer, the Lord's Prayer, that we can use to recite these words as a, a framework for our prayer. Like, we can, we've learned the meaning, and we can use these words to mean deep things about what we're experiencing as we talk with God. And we can also use it as a template so that we can use it as a launching pad to figure out what kinds of things we should talk with about God. But he didn't give us an end to the prayer. So he didn't conclude it uh, as he was teaching to the disciples. He just went right on and started teaching about other things. And we don't know if that's just a picture of his never-ending, always continuing conversation with God the Father, or if it's supposed to be a teaching tool for us to be an encouragement to pray without ceasing, but we conclude the Lord's Prayer with this doxology that's been in practice in some form since the first century. Even in the Didache, uh, this kind of first century teaching manual attributed to the apostles, there's this doxology that concludes the Lord's Prayer. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so while Jesus didn't teach it to us, and while not all Christian traditions use that doxology, ours does, and we're going to talk about it today. And we're going to use it as a way uh, to kind of capture some of the things that we've already learned about the Lord's Prayer and how it helps us kind of frame our thoughts and our attitudes and our faith as we approach this great God in prayer. Let me pray for us, and then we'll dive in. Father God, we come before you today. We thank you for the beauty encompassed in this music that we've sung and heard. We thank you for your presence with us. And we thank you for this, this simple gift that you invite us to talk with you. And so we pray that as we reflect on your word and reflect on this doxology today, that you would help us see you and believe you and talk with you, and that you would train us in this life of faith and to interact with you and to understand who you are and what you're promising for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we are talking about the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer, but we're concluding the series next week, okay? So two conclusions. Uh, for yours is the kingdom the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so, to kind of reflect on this doxology, first, I want to just get a glimpse of this promise that's coming to us as described for us through John the Apostle in Revelation as he saw the vision of what God was preparing for us. To get a sense for this power and glory that is God's. And then I want to take some time to offer three reminders that this doxology helps us gain. It reminds us of at least three things that I think are helpful, and so we want to talk about those as well. So I'll invite you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 21, starting at verse 22. 
I didn't put the words on the screen, I'm sorry. Uh, but you can turn in your Bibles or open up your devices if you need to. Uh, I'm not an example of anything different. So um, by the time we get to Revelation 21, verse 22, God has already revealed to John the destruction of evil. Satan and all his cohort has been cast into the lake of fire and the threat to God's kingdom is over. Then God describes and reveals to John this joyous experience of God's people being united across generations, across languages and tribes, that they would be gathered together in the presence of God. And then God gives John this vision of this new city, this new Jerusalem, this new home for God's people. And it's this enormous cube that comes down from heaven that has 12 gates, one for each of the tribes of Israel to represent that there is room for all of God's people in the place that God is building for us. It's this glorious picture of a grand city cube, so it most pictures kind of have this like skyscraper skyline, but it, it's described as a cube, and I'm not totally sure why. But um, it comes down, it's this place where the streets are made of gold, but like transparent like glass. It's got all these descriptions that's trying to use human words and human understanding to describe something that's grander than anything we've imagined yet. The gates are made of gemstones and jewels, and it's just glorious. God is with his people, as he's always wanted to be. That he would be our God, and we would be his people, and we would be united as his family in his presence. And so God continues this revelation for John, and we're going to pick it up at verse 22. John says, I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign with him forever. 
yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. It's a grand picture and a beautiful invitation that God desires not only relationship with us, but presence with us. He just wants to be with us in his glory, in his security and protection forever and ever. It's so overwhelming that this, this sense of being in the presence of God, that we would see his face that we've only imagined up to this point. But that we would see his face, that we would be in his presence, and it would be so glorious and grand that John kept saying again and again and again, there's no need for a sun or a moon or a lamp because we are in the presence of God and he is all the light and warmth that we need. He is light and love. And will be there. The gates will never ever be closed because there will never again be a threat to God's kingdom. It will always be safe. It's a grand and glorious picture and it is what God has already accomplished for us. For us, in our timeline, in this created world, this is still in the future. But as Jesus died on the cross, he declared, it is finished. And all these things that are being revealed to John in Revelation have already been accomplished in the presence of God. They're already taken care of. This is our future, but it is already prepared for us. In our experience, we're waiting and while we're waiting, God is working. But God has already accomplished all that must happen for us to know that this future he's promised us is there. And we are waiting for a good and certain thing. And so as this doxology turns our attention to this glorious future that we have with God and to the glory of God himself, I think it offers us three important reminders. The first, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory for and ever and ever. Yours. We are praying to our loving and powerful Father. We knew it at the beginning. Our Father, ours, we have relationship with the God of the universe. And he loves us. And he's sovereign over all things and he's in heaven. So we've prayed all these things reflecting on these gold petitions and then offering the petitions of our need. And as we conclude this prayer, we're reminded again that we are praying for a God who is capable of handling our requests. He loves us. And Jesus himself laid his life out for us that we would be set free from our sin and restored and redeemed, that we would not be apart from him, but that we would be his people. We pray to a God who works in all things for the good 
of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So this doxology reminds us that it's, it's to this glorious and wonderful, powerful and loving God that we pray. And that as we pray for these things that we're uncertain about, we need them and we, we feel the scarcity of this broken, sin-stained world and we don't know how these needs are going to be met. But we are entrusting them to one who is trustworthy. He's our loving and powerful, sovereign Father, and He can take care of this. And we're reminded that He is always working for the good of His people. That His goal is to get as many of us as possible to this certain and glorious future where we will experience the wonder of the new Jerusalem and be in His presence with Him and see Him face to face. That even though in this broken world and in our sinful lives, we experience trouble and hardship, and we do experience scarcity and danger. But we entrust ourselves to one who will always guard us and protect us, who is always working to make even the bad things work for good for somehow his kingdom to grow and people to make it to this beautiful, awesome, wonderful future with him. And we may not see how that works out, we may not understand it, but we know that in all things, God is working for this glorious future. Even as in these days, Satan is prowling around like a lion and he's hurting people for real. Our sinful attitudes and behaviors are hurting people for, for real. We're hurting ourselves. There's a lot of pain and it's all real. But God is sovereign all over all of it. And he is working to make the best possible future come out of it. And so this doxology for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever helps frame our request to remember that we're submitting ourselves to the one who's powerful and to the one who loves, the one that we can trust. That it's not our goals or our plans that he needs to submit to but we submit these things, we lay these requests at his feet, and we trust him to do what must be done. The second thing that I think this doxology helps remind us of is that our future in Christ is secure. I've been reminded uh, several times as I've been reflecting on this doxology and this passage and these ideas of this verse in 2 Timothy, two verses actually, in 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy is Paul's last book. He's just waiting. He's on death row. He's waiting for, to be executed for his faith. But he's writing this last letter to his, his dear disciple Timothy, who he calls his son. In verses 17 and 18, Paul had been describing how he had been deserted and left alone. But he said, But the Lord has delivered me from every... He's rescued me again and again. And then he says, And the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack. 
and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. And I think the doxology helps us tap into that picture that even if things don't work out the way we think they need to in this life, even if our life here is shorter than we anticipate, even if it continues to be a a hard, hard struggle, that we can entrust ourselves to this loving and powerful Father and know that even if things don't work out here, he will bring us safely into the kingdom of the Son he loves. This picture that's been described for us that was given to the Apostle John in Revelation so that it would bless and encourage and comfort generation after generation of believers. This picture has been given us to us so that we would know that whatever we face in this life, there is something better. And if God rescues us from the trouble in this moment, great, he has plans for us and he will use that in our lives. And if evil or sin overtakes us now, that will never overcome his power to rescue us as long as we are trusting in him and turning to Jesus and saying, you are mine and I need you. Our future in Christ is secure. This promised future is being prepared for us. And even the hard things that we're facing right now are preparing us. You know, Peter says in his first letter that the troubles that we're facing are just being used by God to refine us and refine our faith because our faith our understanding and experience of God is the most valuable and precious thing that God could possibly give us. And so everything we experience in this life is just part of this preparation to cause us to turn to the God who loves us, call out for rescue, trust him and walk with him as he prepares us for the wonder and the glory of being in his presence future in Christ is secure. And third, this doxology reminds us about priorities and perspective as we go to the Lord in prayer. We're invited to fix our attention on God and not on our uncertainties. You know, the prayer begins with this declaration of who God is and how he's not just my father, but our father, that we go to the Lord in prayer together, knowing that he's going to sort things out and help us make it through this life together. And then we've got these gold-colored petitions that remind us of, that his name is holy, that his kingdom is glorious and coming, and that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We can't stop it. His kingdom is coming. His name is holy. And we pray these petitions not because God waits for the power of our prayer to make those things come, but we pray that they would be true and real and experienced in us and through us. 
But then Jesus taught us that it's not just to remind ourselves, we don't just go to prayer to remind ourselves how great and glorious God is, but that God invites us to talk about the things that we're facing. And so we go and we ask him for our daily bread, our needs to be met. We ask him for reconciled relationships with him and with the people around us, that we would experience forgiveness and peace in our relationships with one another. We talk with him about the dangers of temptation. We say, lead us not into temptation. And, and God himself knows how dangerous temptation is for us. It's, it's the language of sin to capture our mistrust in him. And so in scripture, he tells us to flee temptation, even though he tells us to resist the devil in the name of Jesus. And so it's kind of a nerve-wracking thing to be able to, to be talking about God, about the things that we're tempted about that we feel powerless to overcome in our lives. Whether it's an addiction or just a temptation. And then we turn our attention and say, deliver us from the evil one. And we start to imagine all these horrible things that Satan can do. All these horrible sources of evil in the world around us. Even just this week, in kind of a simple way, my family was going through just some relational struggles. Normal things for parents and kids to experience, but it was feeling overwhelming and it was lingering for days. And I just kept praying, deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. There's something about this that just feels rooted in spiritual battle. Because we all love each other and we're all doing this together and there's no reason that we can't overcome this, but we can't even seem to talk to each other right now. It delivers from the evil one. So whether we're thinking of these grand scale moves of evil in the world or just the personal spiritual battles that we feel the scars of in our daily lives, as we pray about these things, it can be overwhelming. Even as we're praying to the Lord who loves us and is powerful enough to take care of these things. Once we start to list them, even in our minds, it can feel kind of overwhelming. And this doxology turns our attention again, away from the circumstances and the uncertainties, to the one in whom we're confident. For yours, Lord, is the kingdom. All these battles of scarcity and all these fears and anxieties that I have, those are all anchored in this kingdom of the world. This temporary kingdom that's going to pass. The kingdom of the prince of the air who doesn't have long-term, long-standing power. But your power, your kingdom, the one I'm really living in, the one I'm preparing for and already a part of, yours is that kingdom. Help me live in the attitude and spirit of your kingdom. And as I lay these important and valuable requests at your feet, help me really entrust them to you and leave them there 
that I would rise in the confidence of being your child who's loved by you. And I know that my dad can take care of anything. We turn our attention from our power and our inability to accomplish these things. Even as our minds is all, are already spinning with all this sense of control that we feel like we need in order to make these things happen. Even the way that we offer these prayers and requests to God are just drenched in our own sense of control. Like, if you just do this, if you just help me out, then I can go the rest of the way. So this doxology reminds us we submit ourselves to the one who loves us, the one whose kingdom lasts forever, the one whose power is capable, and whose glory is drenched in the gospel. And his merciful hope and desire for each of us. Because his kingdom, his power, his love, and his glory last forever and ever and ever and ever. And it's desire, it's his desire that we experience that with him. So while Jesus didn't teach us a conclusion to his prayer, his disciples and his people have passed on this doxology from generation to generation, century after century, to help us reclaim where we started in the prayer and reframe our attitudes in a sense of faith and confidence that the one that, to whom we pray is present with us and capable of doing all that must be done in order to bring us to be with him forever and ever that we would bask in his glory and reign with him in safety and security, in his love and grace, face to face, forever. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.